to begin by acknowledging the traditional custodians of the land on which we gather today. And I pay my respects to their elders, past and present. I extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples here today. Well, hello and welcome to another episode of Inspired by Yarra. This is the podcast created to enhance, connect and inspire the Yarra Valley Grammar community and beyond. So wherever you're listening from today, thank you. Thanks for tuning in. My name is Paul Joy and it's my privilege to be the host of this podcast where each episode we sit down with another Yarra old grammarian, a yog, and find out the twists and turns of their experience at Yarra Valley Grammar. It has been a while since we've been able to release any new episodes and thanks for hanging in there, thanks for coming back, thanks for finding us again. Today we've got a treat, sitting down with David Stevenson from the class of 1994 who has quite a colourful career. He is going to share with us some of the lessons learned both at school and in business and in leadership and in success and working with brands and some high-profile characters and the pressure and the demands that that requires. I'm delighted to share this uh, conversation with you, albeit (laughs) there were, maybe I'm a bit rusty, but there were a couple of uh, audio challenges that we experienced along the way, but please bear with us. I'm sure you're going to enjoy this conversation with David Stevenson from the class of 1994. Today we're sitting down with David Stevenson from the class of 1994. David, thanks for joining us. Welcome. Thank you very much for having me, Reverend. Actually, come right into the studio, which is uh, terrific. Great to have you here on site today. I wonder whether you can take us back to when you first started at Yarra. What year level did you come? And can you recall the school uniform? It's a great question. Well, firstly, thank you very much for having me. I'm I'm thrilled to be able to come back and and so many great memories here at at Yarra Valley. Uh, so I started in year seven, seven uh, D, I think, from memory, with Mr. Archer, and the school uniform uh, was very clear of shorts, and and it felt like you wore shorts twelve months a year. It didn't matter. And was uh, that enjoyable? Were you yeah, happy wearing shorts? Absolutely, much prefer to wear shorts. And then uh, the blazer and and the uh, the shirt and tie. And I've actually still got my blazer from school. <laughs> uh, tucking shirts in continues to be an issue today. Was yeah. that a, a problem for you? Uh, it was always a problem uh, during during recess and lunch, but um, but the teachers were pretty quick on to you to make sure that you had it tucked in. We uh, we pride ourselves on still being able to do the same. <laughs> um, do you recall any of the the games or activities? Like, how did you spend a lunchtime when you're a year seven young lad? Yeah, probably as most year seven kids who ended up outside the whole time, and it was you know footy in the winter or basketball or cricket, and it was always sort of sports activity. Um, Generally, some basketball courts there, and uh, you'd, you'd run around. Um, a lot of fun, actually. Some great memories. Yeah, we're recording this fairly early in our uh, term one of uh, twenty twenty two, and in fact, our year sevens have just recently come back from camp. Do you have a memory of camp? Did you go on camp when you were in year seven? Yeah, I, I can't remember exact uh, specifics, but always the camps were always a, a lot of fun. You yeah. know, it was a great chance to get to know kids that you didn't necessarily spend a lot of time with who weren't necessarily in the year. Um, we're always adventures, always a bit of mischief as well. But um, yeah, great, great memories. And and I, I would say we we do this as staff as well. But sometimes we have to have a pact that says yeah. what what happens on camp stays on camp. <laughs> yeah. Is that still from a student perspective? Is that right? Uh, I think so. Yeah, I remember Mr. Fenwick was uh, the outdoor ed teacher, and uh, yeah, it was pretty clear on what the rules were and what they weren't. But yes. uh, there wasn't all the stories didn't make it back. 
Absolutely, absolutely. No, that's good. Um, I wonder if uh, if you can head towards co-curricular or yeah. like Saturday sport all of a sudden becomes an important thing, maybe some drama. Yeah. Uh, were you involved in any of the, the clubs and activities that happened in your middle school years? Yeah, middle school. So a lot about sport um, for me. So it was uh, football and uh, volleyball, my two, two kind of main sports, um, but a little bit of cricket in there. Um, I was in the debating team, um, so that was sort of extracurricular. Um, not very good at any of the theatre or arts, so um, not really involved there, but uh, in the choir and, and trying to do some, some fun activities. Excellent, excellent. What, what do you see now as an adult, as you look back on those times, what do you see the value of participating in some of those extracurricular activities? Like, probably at the time it's just fun. Yeah, you know, yeah. you're there with your friends yeah. and you're having a go, but looking back now... And let's say there's some uh, young people listening to this, and what would your guidance be around those co-curricular activities? Yeah, great question. I, I think there was two parts that really stood out for me. One was how do you get out of your comfort zone? So particularly for me, it was you know, music and arts weren't necessarily my my strong suit, but it was great to be able to go and, and try things and learn and make some mistakes, but, but really try and progress along the way um, and not just stick to your current... Um, set of interests um, and secondly was, was probably the experiences you had you know it was the fun with the other kids um, it was you know making some mistakes along the way having some great wins you know some of my great memories of being in the debating team and and working with with kids that you weren't necessarily hanging out with all the yes. time yep. um, and some of those lifelong friendships. We're speaking with David Stevenson from the class of 1994 and David You've spoken generously about co-curricular and, and the value of that. Let's go back into the classroom now. Yeah. Um, you've acknowledged that maybe performing arts wasn't your <laughs> forte. What was? Where did you enjoy being from an academic perspective? Yeah, um, maths was, was certainly um, something I enjoyed. I think going through the you know the maths talent quest and the Westpac mm. Maths Awards, right, I'm yeah. not sure that they still happen. Right, still right. happen. Uh, that I really enjoyed and I ended up... Um, Doing a lot of maths, uh, a lot of uh, PE, um, economics, um, English, all the standard ones. But I think I really enjoyed the the business side, which ultimately led to a post post schooling career. Yes. So you were pretty pleased with it would have been called VCE yes, when you yeah, finished. Yeah, uh, you were one of the early few that yeah. went and, and began at VCE. You were relatively pleased with your result. Doesn't matter what the yep. result was, but it led somewhere. Where did it take you after you left Yarra? Yeah, I think it's amazing what happens at, at um, school. We spend so much time trying to get towards that result. And then I think um, you feel proud of what you've done. And many of my parents um, who sacrificed a lot to be able to send me to, to Yarra Valley, very thankful for them. But what I thought was the end of the journey in getting that result <laughs> was really the start. And so after, um, after I left uh, school, went and did a, a Bachelor of Business Management at Monash, mm-hmm. uh, ended up working at Nike for 17 years. Yeah. It's an amazing organisation. And, and I always talk about uh, the culture, which mm. drives, I think, all of the great success that, that you see. It's very much a culture focused on team, uh, very much on collaboration. There's, if someone's an individual and they don't want to be part of the team, they, they kind of won't last long. Um, the thing that I like uh, the most is very much a bold and ambitious organisation. So there's almost an ability to want to dream as big as you can and then try and achieve it. And, and one of the stories that sticks in my mind a little bit 
Um, we'd been in Hong Kong, I was running Asia Pacific, then moved to uh, Portland, Oregon in the States where, where Nike World Headquarters were, was running uh, the global soccer commercial business, mm. a big, big business. And I went in to see my boss and um, we we're talking about the World Cup in South Africa in, in 2010 and what our strategies were. And he said, uh, hey, what do, you, what do you think about China? And I said, look, I think that could be a big soccer market, you know, good growth, big population, obviously. And he said, hey, we, we want you to move there. And I'd only been in, in Portland there with, um, with my girlfriend, who's, who's now my wife, uh, for six or seven months. So we'd moved from Hong Kong to the US mm. and I said, stay there. Um, and now they were saying, hey, move to, uh, to China. And he said, hey, I, as you think about it, I just want you to go and have a chat with someone. So he took me down the hall uh, and the CEO was there and um, sat me down. We started to talk about China and my head's spinning a little bit. And he said, hey, I've just got one job for you. And I said, oh, okay, no trouble. I feel like there's a lot to do, but yeah, one job. He said, I want you to open five new Nike stores. And I said, that's okay, we can do that. We did that when I was in Australia. Right, so you've got experience that. with yeah. that? Yeah, that, no that's problem. in my toolkit. I yeah. can do that. Did that in Asia when I was there? No trouble. And he said, a day. Oh. And I said, sorry. <laughs> he said, yeah, five new stores a day. I said, how could you possibly do that? And I said, is that just one day a year? He said, no, no, no every day for a year. Wow. So that was the challenge um, that he gave me. But that was very much about the ambition of the yes. organisation. Yeah. And we ended up doing it. We're opening 1,800 stores a year. And I think when I left there, we had 7,000 stores. But it was just that aspirational, hey, why couldn't it be us? You know, if this is this great opportunity, a pretty significant middle class. Let's take advantage of it and just figure it out, find wow. a way to do it. So, so there's obviously a numbers and a business component to that, which, which you had wrapped your head around. Yeah. But there's also, and, and maybe what's perhaps interesting to me is the people side of that yeah. and that, that passion that you've spoken about and the ambition to, to set lofty goals. Yeah. What does it take to reach those sorts of goals? And, and whether it's the character of people you worked with, yeah. or, or maybe it's a bit of self-reflection. What, what is it that drives you to make the numbers work to get those sort of results? Yeah, it's a really good question. For me, it always just comes back to people. You know, I think if you've got a, a really good group of people with um, good character and integrity um, who are willing to work together and you've got a good plan, I, I think you can achieve anything. Yeah, it's pretty powerful. And, and I really felt that a lot. In my last role there, I was um, Vice President of Emerging Markets, which was 150-odd countries, from South America to Asia um, to India, Australia, New Zealand to Africa. Mm. And so dealing with all of um, these people from different cultures, you know, often English wasn't their first language. I think we had 27 time zones. You were just this great complexity. But the way that that group came together, all with different business models, all with their unique idiosyncrasies, mm. that was really powerful. And that's where I, I really understood the power of people coming together who frankly may not see each other more than once or twice a year, mm and who may have nothing in common culturally or um, from a religious point of view or, or language, but they just had this great connection to want to be part of Nike, want to contribute, and most importantly, want to be a good team player. Wow. And in the midst of that, you've got a project, you know, yeah. it's opened some stores yeah. <laughs> every day. Yeah. You're the leader of that team. Mm. So what sorts of things are you doing to help cultivate 
that culture, that culture of desire and aspiration and that 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 willingness to cooperate and succeed. Because then I want to talk a little bit about some other success you've had doing the same. But is is there something that you would say is is part of your experience that says, okay, a successful team needs this, this and this? Yeah. Uh, I, I think there's two or three things that become really important. One is that you actually treat people like people, that they, of course, it's their role and it's their business. Um, but really, at the end of the day, we're all human beings. And so getting to know them on a human level was really important for me. Uh, two was trying to understand that all of us have some things that we're probably pretty good at and there's some things that we're not so good at. How can we build a team that really takes a complementary approach to that? So can't all be great at one thing or all want to be at the front of the the. The queue, um, everyone's got to have a different role and so try and build a team that has those complementary skills. And then three is having a really clear and simple plan. So that might be an ambitious vision and a a target. It might be um, a a business plan about where you're going to drive your growth from. But I think if people can see the roadmap and see where we're trying to get to and you're working with a great group of people together, again, I think you can achieve anything. Wow. You go from Nike and you end up at, as CEO yeah. of the Western Bulldogs in a very successful season for them. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of passionate people around footy clubs yeah. too. Yeah. How do you go managing the, the passion? Like passion's a good thing, yeah. but it can also lead people to extreme behaviour. Yeah. And, uh, and, and, you know, there's a, an element of focus and spotlight on an AFL club, particularly one that's doing well, yeah. and you're in the midst and, and, and probably not the most high-profile person in the organisation, yeah. but obviously a critical person in the organisation. Yeah. How do you go managing people of <laughs> extreme passion? Yeah, it, it was really interesting because it, one of the reasons why um, uh, the Bulldogs role appealed to me was coming from Nike where you're the clear market leader yeah. Um, much bigger than than number two and just about in every market you're successful. So that culture was a why not culture. You know, of course we can go. Yes. And then you go to the, the Bulldogs, which you know, hadn't won a premiership since 1954, won one in their whole existence. That culture didn't exist because you're one of 18 teams, hadn't yeah. won for a long time. So, so belief is low. Yeah, there, there was certainly um, belief in some aspects, yeah. but what I'd saw, call organisational belief wasn't there. Right. And so um, full credit to you know, people like Luke Beveridge who, who came in with a similar mindset of why not us? Why couldn't we win? Why can't we innovate and do things differently? We don't need to follow what everybody else does. So that was important. Um, to your either the, the level of passion for what is relatively a small business. You know, they turn over mm. about $60 million. Mm. I'd come from a, my portfolio was running $5 billion. So, but what it um, traded off in size, it really quadrupled in, in passion. And so the level of emotion in decision-making yeah. was much bigger. Right. And your scoreboard for success was different. So at Nike, where you've got your quarterly earnings and Wall Street and your stock market and your revenue and profit, you know, very much in a football club, it's about on-field results. Sure. And so the work that you do off-field to build your revenue and your membership is really to give you the best chance of being successful on-field because yeah. 
that's what binds a club together is that, that on-field success. So it, it was difficult at some times, you know, yeah. to try and corral um, that culture, to try and change that culture on the run, to try and instill that, that confidence. And, and look, I certainly don't claim um, a lot of credit for the success and winning the flag. It was a lot of great people working together. But um, it's really, really exciting to be a part of a journey where you have that success, when, particularly when people aren't expecting it. A- absolutely. And, and I mean, I, I for one, my my mum, yeah. crazy dogs fan yeah. and, uh, you know, and, and, you know, there's emotion that goes with that. Yeah. And, you know, not, a, not necessarily a ticket holder, but certainly we love the doggies getting up and doing well. Yeah. You've made some significant change with some other people yeah. really quickly, yeah. like that, that commitment and dedication. Go out into the stands with me, the fans. Mm. What, mm. What, are the, what are the Bulldogs fans like? And, and would they have known you? Would they recognise you? Were, they, were you a, you know, did they cheer for you or, or was it all about the players? Yeah, r- respectfully, um, no one really cares about the CEO. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I think you, know, you take that, you kind of laugh, but it's reality is, you know, if they had the choice of getting, you know, another Bob Murphy or the CEO, it's not even close. Yes, okay. So it okay. is very much about, hey, you're the guy in the suit and mm. you're going to do the things behind the scenes mm. that means that we can have the best facilities for our uh, football players to, to be a part of. And and for me, even you know, successful in getting the licence for the AFLW team, that was really important as we built that culture of instead of you know, one team, one club, we now became three teams, three clubs yes. with an AFL team, a VFL team and an AFLW team. But really, um, it, it, as it should be, it was all about, hey, how do we become more successful on field? And so, yes, you've still got some great connections with, with some of the fans there, but um, also don't overstate your, your importance within the club. I, I find that very warming that, that and, and again, with all due respect, you understand your role in the team. And that is to do your work, whatever it is you do yeah. behind the scenes, whatever yeah. you do in your fancy suit, yeah. you do that yeah. so we can get out and play footy and that'll keep the fans happy, they'll keep coming and we continue to to foster that success. Yeah. I, I love that. Yeah. And, and again, with all due respect, <laughs> you know your place, yeah. you know your role. And, and you talked about that earlier about, you know, a, a team, if everybody plays their role, if everybody does their bit, we're not, you're, you're, I don't know, I don't know how good you are at footy. Yeah. In a moment I'm going to ask you to take me back to a moment on the footy field yeah. here at Yarra Valley Grammar that was uh, outstanding. But you may not be the best mark or the best kick, but what you could do, you brought your best yeah. into that environment and it worked. That's marvellous. Yeah. Now you're with the AFL yeah. and I imagine you've got some big projects there too. You are somebody who they give a project to and you seem to be able to deliver yeah. Congratulations. Thank you. What's uh, one or two things that we might look forward to in 2022? Getting back in the game, is that is that a focus? Yeah, that, that's our number one focus. I right. mean, it's been... Get the fans back. Get the fans back, uh-huh. yeah. It's been two years of obviously some incredible challenges uh-huh. um, and we've had, a, you know, the, the level of connection between the fans and, and the game has changed. Yeah. Yeah, a lot more people watching on TV, less mm. people being able to go to the game. Mm. Um, I had to really lead the project in the last couple of years about where would we play the grand final and finals yeah. given we, we couldn't play in Victoria. And going to Queensland, which was a great growth market but not a hardcore football mm. market, trying to build that connection with people to care about our game because it's a, a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. 
and then last year going to Perth where it's a footy crazy market and I think it, the, the ticket sold out in 11 minutes. You know, it's, it's <laughs> amazing. Um, but really our, our heartland in Victoria um, where you've got 10 of your teams playing, yeah. we've missed that connection and it frankly hasn't felt the same. Mm. And it was sort of in, in initially when COVID was happening and we were like, oh, my God, what are we going to do with this? And all the conversations, you know, with... Gil and the executive team and the board, it was all financially driven uh-huh. because if we don't get the games on, then we don't get paid in the broadcast and commercial, which means you can't pay the players, mm-hmm. you can't put money into community footy or into women's football. So it was very much a financial driven uh, mindset. But pretty quickly it changed to, particularly in Victoria with the amount of time people were in lockdowns, we're actually not doing it for the money, we're doing it for the fans mm-hmm. because without trying to overstate our role in the community, I think for a lot of people, football gave them hope. Mm. And particularly when we're playing regularly during the week at nights and people are in lockdown and having really difficult times, the football gave them a sense of escape. And it was escape from the craziness of COVID and all the financial and um, health challenges that they were having while being in lockdown, they could look forward to a game coming along. And so... That really um, connected with me about how important the game is and whether it's playing for the Yarra Valley Old Boys or, or Old Grammarians or, or whether it's at the elite game in a grand final and 100,000 people, but the role in which the game plays in bringing people together and family rituals, that's what's really powerful. Mm. I, I get that. I, I'm, I'm all for that and I agree with that. I also heard some criticism yep. around... You know, like the players and their families got to live in these hubs yep. and they had, from the outside looking in, pretty nice conditions. Yep. Meanwhile, the fans and the not-so-fans, yep. the people who couldn't give a hoot about yeah. footy but wanted hope, they're worried about their local restaurant. They're worried about the local cinema or the theatre. The, you know, there are other whole industries that perhaps didn't have the same financial backing as the AFL and, and footy. Mm-hmm. What about them? You know, I know you're a community guy and yeah, I want to talk about yeah. that in a moment, but what could you suggest from your experience, you know, even as schools and school communities try and get people back and have people comfortable being and meeting together again, what are some things that we could do on a community level, whether it's the the, the hospitality industry, the entertainment industry, the education field, What's important for community right now? Yeah, I, I think that's a great question. And, and I, frankly, it's hard to defend the way that sometimes the AFL mm. gets prioritised in the community. Mm. So when you heard, you know, we're up in Queensland and you know, we're trying to put on a grand final, we had, to your point, people in hubs in nice resorts mm. and then people couldn't get into the state to see their dying relatives. Yeah. You can't defend that. There's no logic that says that that should be the way it happened. Unfortunately, it's a reality of of what had happened and and you feel horrible for people having Mm. to go through that that separation and if there was a way you could give up your spot to have someone else do that, of course you would. So I I can't pretend to justify it because I I think it's a reality of a little bit of the economic contribution. Um, It's the role in the community. It's a connection with government. And frankly, you have governments who really want to use the AFL to drive people and their economies. 
You know, we're, we're proud of the economic impact you make in those states, but um, we also have to be very wary not to abuse that role that we have in, in the community. So I think in answer to your question, um, one of the big things that I've been leading is what we're calling this festival of football, which is that return for people in, um, in Victoria. So uh, we've got six of the seven AFLW games in round 10 all being in, in Victoria, mm. um, which is the first time that's happened. Uh, we've got five uh, big blockbuster games, so first time they'll have all ten Victorian teams playing in Melbourne uh-huh. um, in round one. So you've got you know, a pretty amazing eleven games over the course of, of ten days, and at each of those games, there's artists, um, there's entertainers that haven't necessarily had a lot of work mm-hmm. um, in the AFLW games. There's food trucks, there's restaurants. Um, I had an initiative that we've gone out to each of the. 1,292 community clubs and given every one of them four tickets. Great. Just to say thank you for your volunteer help and appreciate you being a part of that. We've got an offer for for school teachers to come along Mm. um, in a similar mindset. So we're trying um, to do lots of things and and probably having, you know, we've got a a $50 family offer, which usually costs $76. With that idea of get people back, build those connections, sit with the people that you've sat next to yeah. for 20 years yeah. um, and, and those rituals that football plays a role in, whether it's a community or the elite, we want to bring those rituals back. Yeah, love it, love it. And, and you're quite right, there is a, a, a system or a mindset or a, a product that does bring people together and I love it that you, you, you know, you <laughs> clearly you're miles ahead of my question in terms of, you know, you've reached out to entertainers. You've reached out to the, you know, the, the local restaurants and cafes and, and, and food trucks and, and thinking about families and thinking about schools. And I, I love that you're doing yeah, that. Yes. Well done to yeah. you and, yeah. and your team. Great team. Um, I wonder whether we might slip into a, a, a piece of our conversation that I like to call the lightning round. Yeah. I'm going to throw a bunch of questions at you quick fire. Yeah. And uh, one word, short answer. Um, We'll see where we go. You ready? Ready to go. Strap yourself in for the quick fire round. David Stevenson from the class of 1994. What house were you in at Yarra? Annals. And were Annals any good back in those days? Uh, Pretty good at sport, which is all I was really interested in. (laughs) And what was your contribution? What, What would you say, I did this for Annals? Uh, so I guess played in all the sports, mm-hmm. um, uh, particularly football and, and volleyball. So it felt like the team spirit, whether it was in swimming and participating, but championing and trying to bring people together. Great. Now, you probably didn't enjoy being on the stage, but watching the stage, were there any musicals or or special events that you were perhaps in the audience for that stand out to you? Yeah, I think there was a production of Godspell yes. um, that was really great. And I remember Rod Penaluna, who I know was head of the uh, old Grammarians, um, he was performing in it. It was um, yeah, one of those great, great memories. And we came to a a performance here a couple of years ago and, okay. and um, really enjoyed it too. Fantastic. How did you travel to school when you were coming to Yarra? Uh, had a friend I went to primary school with who lived around the corner, so we'd uh, alternate one of the parents to take in the morning and the other ones to bring back, so by car. And what would be in your lunchbox when you're a student? Ooh, uh, probably a pretty basic sandwich, uh, a piece of fruit and, and maybe a small packet of barbecue shapes. <laughs> They're still going, the barbecue yeah. shapes. Uh, did you make your own or was that uh, helped from home? Uh, I th- 
initially help from home, but then over time you ended up making your own. What hobbies do you have nowadays? You, you, you have family, you've got uh, lots of responsibility. What's the value of hobbies outside of work? Yeah, it's a great question. Uh, I have a few things. I sit um, on the chair of a government health board, um, which has been really interesting. Um, I've got uh, my own business with a business partner that we have a, an investment in a couple of things. One, a, a, um, a startup app in the UK, another one that's a sports apparel company called Bruce Apparel. Um, but we've got a place down the beach, so we're often down there, um, often try to get some exercise in, catching up with friends, uh, a bit of gardening, so I guess a, a broad uh, range of things. Yeah, that's nice. If you had the choice, and you can't say none, mm-hmm. uh, house swimming or house athletics, where did you like to be most? Swimming. Excellent. And what was your uh, – was it was it just cheering in the sidelines or were you in the pool and what was your event of choice? Yeah, in the pool, swimming and backstroke were probably my two. I, I was never an amazing um, swimmer, but, yeah, between those two, it'd be swimming, occasionally a bit of cross-country. Did you have a nickname at school? It was a really original one. It was hard to work out, but it was Steve-O. <laughs> Steve-O. <laughs> Steve-O, thank you for inviting me. I'm coming over to your place for dinner um, tomorrow night. What are we cooking? What's your specialty? What's your go-to? What would you put on for dinner? I'd uh, make a butter chicken. That's uh, it's my specialty. My father was born in India and I've got a, a special connection there. So I love Indian foods. I'd make you a butter chicken. Thank you. Uh, I'd probably have some nice raita and papadums and, and maybe a little mango chutney on the side. Lovely. And then uh, for dessert, I'm a bit um, biased to a, a slice, so maybe a, a oh. caramel slice or a um, lemon slice. I'm I think. very pleased you've included dessert in there yeah. as well. So <laughs> thank you. Take me then out of the invite list. I, yeah. I had a great time. <laughs> You've, uh, you've connected with some well-known people around the world, let's say. You can invite three other people to dinner, any time, any era, dead or alive. Who's coming to dinner? Who would you like to have a conversation with around the dinner table? Uh, so first, would, is a really obvious one for me, would be Michael Jordan. Um, I was lucky enough to, to meet him once, but he's, he's my sporting hero. Uh, second would be Nelson Mandela. Um, I, I think what he was able to do for that country um, was just inspiring. My third changes a bit, but um, I really like what Angela Merkel has done in Germany. And when you read more about her and how does her own shopping, wears the same clothes, and you know, given she was a chancellor um, for so many years and so successful, I'd love to get to know her. She seems really grounded and quite humble. Do you think she'd enjoy your caramel slice? I would hope so. <laughs> I might have to do a little sauerkraut on the side <laughs> or something, but she'd be there. When you're a student at school, is there a, a piece of work or a, a presentation or, or something you delivered that you were really, really proud of? It might be that you worked on an essay and you submitted it, got feedback, you worked again, or, or maybe it was a, 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 a poster that you made, a piece of work that you're really proud of. Yeah, probably two. Um, one was a, they did a maths talent quest um, and I did a, a board game around that. It was sort of based on Trivial Pursuit uh-huh. and, um, and it won an award. I think I got a $50 voucher from, from something. Um, so that was good. And then the second one, again, I've said a couple of times, art's not my forte, but I made a, a clock um, using welding and turned wood mm-hmm. and all these great colours and I was – so proud. It's probably the proudest thing I've ever made in art. 
and I got a D plus. Oh, no. <laughs> so that was a little disappointing. <laughs> but uh, no, they're the two that stick in my mind. Right. Well, take us to another proud moment, perhaps out on the sporting fields. Yeah. Is there a time, I don't know, maybe you had the kick after the siren or yeah. you uh, took three for or five for. Is there a, a moment on the sporting field? And and feel free, as other guests yeah. in the past have uh, they've elaborated their stories, <laughs> I believe. As I talk to other yogs and they tell me the truth behind the story, <laughs> let's not worry about the truth. Let's go for a big story. No, I think uh, I, I had maybe two, if you'll indulge me. Um, volleyball was, was my main mm, sport okay. and uh, Mary Carroll was the, the coach um, yeah. and she was an amazing woman um, by far my favourite teacher and an inspiration, actually, and she introduced me to the game of volleyball. Mary will be listening to this. She'll appreciate oh, every moment good. that you've just shared. Oh, just <laughs> a, a wonderful human being. So, uh, And she got me into volleyball and I ended up um, down the track. Um, we we won the, the AGS yeah. title, um, didn't lose a game in, in I think, two years. <laughs> Um, I was lucky enough to play, um, to be captain of the AGS team, mm. which was great. But my special moment is I ended up playing in the Australian team. And oh, wow. um, we played in these World University Games in Mallorca in, in Spain. <laughs> and what made it so amazing with Yarra Valley is I did it playing with another Yarra Valley person awesome. in, in Luke Campbell. And uh, to be able to have two Yarra Valley guys mm. in Spain on the other side of the world representing a country, yeah. that was pretty Pretty amazing. Um, and then secondarily, uh, playing football was was my other love. And I can't remember whether I was in year 10 maybe, but we made it into um, the, it was the Herald Sun yeah, Shield yeah. Um, final. It was a big deal and we'd got through and we played at, uh, at Princess Park yeah. um, in those days. And uh, again, I, I was pretty young and, and maybe about 56 kilos dripping wet. <laughs> Um, but it was just so much fun to yeah. be able to go and, and, and play. And um, I remember Brian Harper was our, mm. our, our coach and he was, um, again, an amazing um, human being and a great coach and just a, a really quality quality person. Um, but another part of football, I remember we were out playing um, on a Friday afternoon and um, I can't remember whether it was, I think it was against um, Pegs. And uh, I think I was playing my first... Uh, first 18 game again, mm. pretty pretty young, and he you know usually play centre half back, and he said, hey, I want you to play centre half forward. We've got a really important role. I want you to be the decoy <laughs> <laughs> because Rowan Lawton, who is yeah, um, okay. a great great um, player, he was he was our captain and best player. Um, he was usually I think centre half forward, but they said, hey, we're going to push him out to the flank. You'll get the best defender. We're yeah. not going to kick it to you. <laughs> so <that laughs> Rowan Lawton can do well. Um, and I ended up kicking a, a couple of goals and I think Dustin Fletcher was playing. Uh-huh. And it, was, it was a really good moment to, to be a decoy. A- again, playing your role though yeah. and, and not having the limelight but uh, knew what you had to do and uh, love the strategy of Brian Harper in, yeah. in that. Um, I think that's that's terrific. I wonder with, and you mentioned briefly there, the opportunity to travel and, and your roles that you've played in, in, in business have enabled you to travel. As the world gradually opens up again, is there one or two uh, must-see destinations? It might even be a, an iconic place or, or a behind-the-scenes sort of place. Where, where would you recommend that, that we go uh, if we and when we have the opportunity? Yeah. Um, I, there's probably two. One that I've been to I'd love to go again and one that I haven't been to. I've been lucky enough uh, to travel a lot. But 
One of my favourite places was uh, Cinque Terre in, in Italy and these five beautiful towns on, on the side of the mountain and just to be able to go there with my wife and, and three kids and just um, almost amble between the towns and enjoy a coffee and a, maybe a nice pasta meal and yep. a glass of wine and, and just to do that over a period of time in, in summer would be amazing. Uh, and then secondly, I haven't been before, but I'm, I'm really keen to go is Angkor Wat in, in Cambodia. Um, and we were trying to go there for my wife's 40th and then kind of COVID came. So that'll be one of the first places to go back to. That's great. We're, uh, you've been really generous with your time and we're nearly done. I, I'm just curious about your involvement in community, um, maybe volunteering. We have a, a program here and I'm not sure how involved you were called Community Links where we endeavour to make a difference in our community. With all of your success and, and business prowess and influence, I, I'm really warmed that you're still involved at community level. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about why you would do that. Uh, yeah, I, I think, uh, frankly, it's far richer in, mm. in enjoyment than it is um, than sometimes you get in the corporate world. You know, again, very um, appreciative of the com- commercial opportunities I've had, and but I find. Um, that when you're involved in a local community, I found it playing for the old boys for you know seven or eight years in D-grade football, that connection was far deeper than sometimes even the connection mm-hmm. I had on the Australian team mm-hmm. because you're doing it for different reasons. And mm-hmm. so now even the Park Orchard Sharks and trying to volunteer a bit there and I've been recently helping them with their strategic plan, that's far more enjoyable to see the benefits of, of that come through than it is on building a strategic plan for the AFL mm. because just more personal mm. and I think um, you can see when you really unlock um, someone's potential, I, I just it warms your heart to be able to do that. And so whether it's a, you know, a four-year-old um, girl who's learning to walk because she's had some challenges or whether it's someone learning to kick in a local club mm. Um, or being on the school council and, and trying to figure out how can we get through COVID and yeah. have a safe return to school, um, that's what drives me far more than you know what, what you get paid at the end of the month. Yeah, I love it. I love it. I wonder as we come to a close whether there is a, a, a ritual or a habit, um, is there a rhythm to your day, maybe, maybe something that's important, it might be a... Um, a daily routine or it might be a quote that's on the back of the bathroom door or what sort of drives you, what gets you up and going, what are some ways that you be your best? Uh, it's a really um, great question. I, I don't have an, an immediate answer. Excuse me. There's a couple of things that, that probably help. Um, one is I get energised by those big and bold mm. opportunities and so we've just done a new strategic plan for the dental health services, that, that board that I chair, and that's about trying to eradicate cavities um, from people's mouths. And so that's aspirational for me that you see, I give, get a really clear vision of what we're trying to achieve. Mm. Um, the, the, the part that drives me the most, frankly, is trying to be a great dad and a great husband. That's, that's changed. I think, you know, when you're early in your career and your ego plays a bigger role and the title and, mm-hmm. and the seniority and the package and all those things uh, become really important. Now I think they become far more secondary or even tertiary because I know that, hey, with three amazing children and, and a wife, my wife who's a, who's a saint, 
that's the part that I want to be known for. Mm. Um, and so it's trying to get that right balance of all those competing things and how do you have quality time. And then probably the last one is around a work ethic. Um, again, it was a great quote from Michael Jordan that, that he said, the harder I work, the luckier I get. Mm. And so now hard work changes a little bit. In the past, it might have been hard work was a 70 or 80 hour week at work. Now it's hard work of how do you be a better dad and how do you be a better communicator and a better friend and a better son and a, um, and a relative. It's all of those things that I'm, I'm trying to work at. Mm, love it. David Stevenson from the class of 1994, thank you. Thanks for journeying with us and, uh, and bringing us along for the ride. Thanks for reliving some of those moments, those uh, great sporting achievements, but it's not just the sport, it's the debating and it's the classroom and it's the inspiration of the teachers. And, it's, and I appreciate also a snapshot into some of your um, influential business pursuits and, and the way that you've you know, held yourself to be a man of character in within that and, and now giving back to community and continuing to see the value of investing in your own family and, and the, the, the people who you, you know, are over the back fence. And I really appreciate that. Thank you for sharing stories. Um, this podcast is called The Inspired by Yarra Podcast. And uh, it seems to me that through this conversation, you will inspire many other people. But it also tells me that you indeed have been inspired by Yarra. So thank you for your time. Thanks for your inspiration. And uh, we look forward to watching your career and your influence continue to grow. Great. Thank you very much. And, and I can't wait for my three kids to come to Yarra in a few years' time. Fantastic. Thanks, Reverend. What a fascinating insight into the business world and what drives somebody, what motivates somebody, and, and perhaps how those motivations can change with experience and maybe with success that changes our perspective on our purpose. An incredible character is David. I really enjoyed our conversation. I hope you too enjoyed listening in. Remember that we have a growing library of these podcasts, the Inspired by Yarra podcast episodes, and we'd love you to you know, share them, to rate and review them on whatever podcast app you might be listening to them on. I, I really appreciate comments and feedback, and it's really helpful for us to, uh, to keep moving forward, to keep bringing new guests and new conversations and new uh, connections within and around our Yarra Valley Grammar community. If you have a recommendation on a guest, um, we would love to hear from that as well. Please reach out to us. I hope you'll join us next episode when, again, we'll sit down with another yog and see how they too have been inspired by Yarra. My name's Paul Joy, and on behalf of everyone here at Yarra, and in particular the small team who put these episodes together to share with you, I want to wish you another day of inspiration where you, with a level of intentionality, get out there and make a positive impact in the world around you.